Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we turn our minds and our attention to you. We desire today to hear your voice through your word. We pray that each one of us would hear what we need to hear today and that you would change each one of us from the inside out. Let us not just come in here to occupy a space and leave out of here with the intention of remaining exactly as we are. But let your Holy Spirit, through the, through the active and living Word of God, change us. We pray in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Yes, we are moving further into the book of James. We will not complete it today. We will not complete it next week, and we will not complete it the next week, but at some point in the future, we will complete it. We do have two full chapters left. We are not going to cover the entirety of chapter 4 today, but if you, in a moment, we'll be reading from chapter 4. Um, and, and the title, of course, comes from the, a cartoon that you might have seen. And how many of you remember who Pogo is? More hands than I would have thought. There's a famous cartoon that Pogo says, we have met the enemy and he is us. And uh, too often, and I'll touch on this later, but too often we blame everything on the devil. Somebody told me one time uh, they saw a cartoon somebody had drawn of the devil sitting on the curb at the street crying. And somebody came along and said, What's, what are you crying about? He said, well, I do enough, but I get blamed for a lot of stuff I don't do. <laughs> we have met the enemy. The trouble with self-made men is that they worship their creator. Come on now, think about it. Get off Facebook. Listen to what I'm saying. The trouble with self-made men is they worship their creator. The lady said, at a party, my husband and I have managed to be happy together for 20 years. I guess this is because we're both in love with the same man. We have met the enemy. And he is us. Last, uh, this past w- uh, midweek video, how, this is scary right here now. How many of you have watched this week's midweek video? I'm going to quit doing them. Two people raise their hand. Seriously, I've done my last one. Psalm 126. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The key part of that this morning I want us to remember is they said, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. I want you to know today, and you know this, but I want to remind us today that they said, who are they? We always know who's they. The world is watching the church. The world is watching every move we make, every every. Little uh, digits you put on Twitter, Facebook, and all the other grams and isms that are out there. The world's watching. Last week, the last verse we read said this. You, it said, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What are we showing the world? What are we demonstrating for the world? Are we demonstrating what we're against or what we're for? Are we demonstrating what, how we feel about one another negatively or positively? 
Jesus said the, the way they're going to know you're my disciples is if you have agape for one another. And when you don't have agape for one another, then the world doesn't know accurately that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't know that there's a huge problem in the church with people getting along, but I've sat through a, a few business meetings when I was a kid, and I know those people didn't get along. <laughs> one night we had two gentlemen, I think they were deacons. One of them offered the other one to step outside, and we'll settle this right now. Well, and I, it was over something stupid like the color of the carpet or something. Many times we are our own worst enemy. Many times. Now there is a devil, and I'll talk about him in a little while too. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to make you a promise today. I already made you one promise. I'm stopping doing midweek videos. The second promise is that you will not, I will not be finished by 11. Now you may get out of here before 11, but I'm not going to be finished. James 4 is the text. James 4, and I'm going to read, if you'd stand with me while I read this, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Um, I'm going to read through to verse, through verse 12. So let's go back one verse, and I just read it, but we're going to read it again. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or makes us enemies with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks, and by the way, the word brothers there is non-gender specific. It's a word that means male and female. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You may be seated. The root of quarrels and fights. Now, there evidently, there were evidently quarrels and fights among these folks that James is writing this letter to. I mean, there had to have been quarrels and fights because he said, what causes quarrels and fights among you? So we know for a fact 
that they were having issues. These were Christians. By the way, I remind us again, every word of this book was written to Christians. Everybody say Christians. Every word of this book was written to a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And to that church, James writes, what causes these quarrels and fights among you? Again, this is a group of people who were facing persecution. Uh, they were facing issues that were uh, causing challenges in their life. And these challenges were causing them to respond and react in the flesh. And James is writing that. He says, uh, is it not that your passions are at war within you? The word passions there is a word that we could better translate pleasures. And some of your Bibles will say that there, pleasures. And it's where we get our word hedonism. And we don't use that word a lot. We don't like it. But hedonism is simply a word that means devotion to pleasure as a way of life. Now, this this uh, whole concept of we have met the enemy and he is us could be applied in many ways, but I'm going to try. I'm trying to stay on topic. I said, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? And I thought I heard those words: stay on topic, stay on the topic that James was writing in. There are other places to go the other way, but hedonism is when we devote ourselves to pleasure as a way of life, or when we devote ourselves to the idea that that uh, sensual pleasures are the highest good or the highest level of achievement that we can have. Now, if you are apart from Jesus Christ, if you're lost and you haven't been regenerated in your spirit, then you don't have anything but your senses to satisfy. You don't. I mean, you don't. Have, you're, you're miserable. You might not know it, but you are. You're miserable because you're trying to satisfy a hole in you that cannot be satisfied except by your creator. He says you give yourself to fleshly passions. You you commit yourself to your own pleasures, satisfying your own pleasures, what you want. Peter writes this. He says, dear friends, 211, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Y'all do know we're temporary. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Keep away. I could preach the rest of the day on this verse. Keep away from worldly desires that wage war Against your very souls. Peter's writing to Christians too, by the way. Not writing to the world or lost people. Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. We as believers and followers of Jesus Christ are culpable in those cases when we have allowed ourselves to be given to worldly desires. Now, I, you know, I'm not talking about being prudes. I'm not talking about uh, how long you wear your hair. I remember when I was an 18-year-old kid working on the docks uh, at, in Panama City, Florida, and the, I had my hair down to my, past my shoulders. Yeah, I was a hippie one day. The guy came up behind me. He said, I heard you was a preacher. I said, well, I've been licensed. I've been called to preach. I hadn't even been licensed at that point. 
I've been called to preach. He said, you can't preach until you cut that hair. I said, watch me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'll tell you in a minute what I'm talking about. He said, you desire, but you do not have. Watch, watch this. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, that's an interesting statement. You can look up uh, most any version of the Bible. Almost all of them will use the word murder there. Now, my wife's grandmother used to say, when she heard about somebody having a wedding, she'd say, oh, yeah, they're getting murdered. Her grandmother wasn't me. Some, you know, mostly, most likely, James is dealing with uh, attack that's not physical. But a lot of people think because he used this word, a lot of people think that there actually was some cases where people were getting murdered over desires that weren't fulfilled. Assassination takes many forms. You can assassinate your brother and sister in Christ in many ways. Gossip, uh, belittling. I mean, there's just so many ways. Stealing. He says, you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You desire and you do not have, so you, you retaliate or you have some form of aggression, verbal or otherwise, because you, you don't want, you don't have what you covet. You covet. I think we all know what covet means. And you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. What is this? What are the causes of the fights and the quarrels? It's he is, we have met the enemy and he is us. It's a war of words when we covet what somebody else has. Let me ask you a question. You hear about someone who gains something, let's just say nice, home, job, car, whatever. Is your first response, well, good for them. I'm glad for them. Or is your first response, oh, I couldn't have happened to me. Well, you're, if you have the latter, you're definitely human. If you have the former, you're definitely human who have, has learned, as Jessica said, to lay it down. What is your response? Are you, are you just want to covet what they got? He said, you do not have because you do not ask. Self-consumption or being consumed with ourselves will lead to self-solutions. You do not ask. Why don't you ask? It's because you already got it figured out. It's because you, you think you got, you're as smart as God. You remember, you've heard me say, and I've quoted Brother Charles, we love Jesus. We think he's a, a great guy and he's, he loves us and died for us, but we don't think he's very smart. Because if we thought he was smart, we'd do what he said. With self-authored solutions, we don't need to engage with God. Let me just tell you, that's the key to prayer. The key to prayer is not getting God to do what we want him to do. The key to prayer is not moving things and changing things and getting things. Obviously, that's all a part of prayer. 
But the key to prayer is none of that. The key to prayer is God has set you up. Say, I've been set up. I got to make sure you're awake. You've been set up because God's economy of prayer requires you to engage with him. Now, just praying without engaging with God, that's not prayer. As the old saints used to say, that prayer won't make it past the ceiling. Because God doesn't need you to talk to him so that he can do for you what he wants to do for you. But you need and I need to engage with a holy God through his Holy Spirit to gain life. And it's through prayer that we do that. We've been set up. We've got, we pray and God responds to our prayer, but he doesn't, he don't even need that. We need to engage. Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 5.15. Lord, have mercy. It's just too much. He, he died for all. Everybody say all. all. He died for, say it again. All. Everybody. That those who live, if you're living, raise your hand. Now, if you don't raise your hand, we're going to have a funeral. Come on now. Those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. And that's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord, that you no longer live for yourself, but you live for him. And I'm not, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask the question, are you living for him today, or are you living for yourself? And, I, hey, we're all in that boat. We're all human beings, and we all fight against the flesh. Even the Apostle Paul fought against the flesh. Read Romans 7. You'll find out that he had struggles with the flesh. But we, we, we struggle because we haven't committed to living for him and not living for ourselves, for our wants, for our desires. Let me just tell you, if you will walk with God, you'll get more desire, stuff for your desires than you can ever imagine. Your life will be so abundant, you won't know what to do with everything God sends you. I'm not talking about material possessions necessarily. I'm talking about the blessing of God. Do you know what the blessing of God is? It's not a trick question. The blessing of God is God himself. Not what he can do for you. And not what he can give you. He does plenty for you. And he's going to give you plenty. But the real blessing of God is God himself. You ask... And you do not receive. Why? Well, the easy answer is you ask with wrong motives. You ask, old King James says, to consume it upon your own lusts. You ask only to get something to satisfy your desires. You know, there's a lot better preaching than this. It's a lot more comfortable to listen to is what I mean. And that's probably better, better preaching than this too. There was better preaching than this in this pulpit last Sunday. You ask with the wrong motives. That's why you don't get it. You ask, verse 1, to satisfy, I mean, you ask to satisfy our own, your own pleasures and it's the same word as in verse 1. You ask, because of what you want. You ask because of what you desire. 
if the only reason you ask God for something is so that you can get something that you want, don't be surprised if you don't get it. Or don't let me get stuck here. It's so easy to see God as a this big vending machine in the sky. As our cosmic Santa Claus that we just sit on his lap and say, Hey, here's what I want. And he get he sends I might mention it again later, but I'm reading Jim Newsom's book. How many of you are reading Jim Newsom's book? Or I'm gonna tell Jim not to write any more books. Um <laughs> And he mentions in that book where Jesus says, you know, a father, a kid asks a father for bread. He doesn't give him a stone. You ask him for water. He doesn't give him a snake and all that. He says, sometimes you ask God for bread and he sends you bread, but it looks like a stone. We want it to look like the bread. And God has answered our prayer. But what he sent us. Look like a stone, and we get mad at God. Why did you give me? Why, why didn't you give me what I wanted? Why didn't you give me what I asked for? As Lisa said, God knows; He knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. If God's not smarter than me, and God's not smarter than you, we got to get us another God. But I can assure you, He is. Verse three, the New Living Translation says, "You you won't only." What will give you pleasure? Again, I'm not opposed to pleasure. I'm, a, I'm not opposed to pleasure, but I am for gaining pleasure the right way through God's way. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying that if we settle for satisfying ourselves and our senses to gain pleasure, the Bible says that will bring pleasure for a little while, but in the end, Anybody remember what it says? Destruction. It feels good for a while. Man, this is good. But ultimately, that goes away. And we're not satisfied anymore. And then he talk, then he moves right into friendship with God or the world. I'm going, I know I'm sounding like an old fogey. I worked like a young man on Friday and I feel like an old man today. So, I can stand up. He said, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with God, with the world, is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Hmm. Let's just face it. When we give ourselves... To the world, and that is, that is, it's not an accident that that follows right on the heels of giving ourselves to our desires and our pleasures as the premier uh, pinnacle of what we're looking for. He says that's a form of adultery. Why is it a form of adultery? Because we have, we are in covenant with a covenant God. He made covenant with us, we entered into the covenant with Him. And when we go another way and we serve another, even if that another is in the mirror, we have become adulterous with God. 
Friendship with the world is basically imitating worldly ways of thinking and worldly activities that are not godly. Again, if you walk with God and you commit your life to him, you'll have more fun and more pleasures and more satisfaction than you could ever imagine. But that the satisfaction that you'll gain will last. It won't be gone in a few weeks or a few moments. If you're a friend of the world, I didn't write this. James wrote it. The brother of our Lord, earthly brother of our Lord and spiritual brother of our Lord. He wrote this. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You just can't do it. It's impossible. John wrote, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Watch this verse. For all that is in the world, and here's we got three little points. The desires of the flesh, once again, if we're just trying to satisfy our flesh, our sensual desires, you can do that. And it's not going to last long. The desires of the eyes. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I have made a covenant with my eyes. In other words, what he was going to look upon or whom was he going to look upon? He made a covenant with his eyes that he would not. And pride in possessions or the pride of life. If you want to know what worldliness looks like, just look at that verse. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride in worldly possessions. If you're given, and I mean, when I say given, I mean capital G, when you're given to those three elements of life, then you're, you're given to worldliness. And then he said, and the world is passing away along with its desire. But God, but whoever does the will of God abides how long? Forever. Jesus, I don't have a slide, but Jesus told the disciples in John 15, he said, I chose you. And I love his wording here. Well, of course, you always love Jesus wording, don't you? Come on. I chose you out, everybody say out, of this world. I chose you out of this world. In other words, what Jesus says about you is you're out of this world. I chose you out of this world. I didn't choose you to be a part of it. Now, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Lord, y'all having something in the oven? I've told this story before, but I guarantee you somebody hadn't heard it. But I'm standing in a club. <laughs> I'm going to just stop right there and let you let that sink in. I'm standing in a club in Dothan, Alabama. With I'm traveling on the bus with Andy Griggs. And uh, we are we get there morning. I don't remember what time we got there. I was in a bunk asleep. And, you know, load out, set up everything, sound check, everything, eat lunch. The show begins to start that night, packed, not a seat in the house, empty. 
And I'm standing next to the guy who's the manager of this club. Club's called Cowboy, Cowboys it's on Highway South, 231 South in Dothan, Alabama. And uh, he said, you know, I've been watching all day long, and I've watched what everybody's been doing and going. He said, I hadn't figured one thing out. I said, what? He said, what's your part in all this? And at that time, I said to him, well, back in Nashville, I'm Andy's pastor. And he's, you know, about that time, Andy was kicking off his set, and he, he, he didn't even look at me. He just stood there. He said, well, welcome to the den of sin. And I said to him, well, let me tell you something. I said, if Jesus was here tonight, and he is, but if he was bodily here tonight, he'd be right out there in the middle of those, it was several hundred people. He'd be right in the middle of them. Don's got that song, Jesus Goes to Bars. And I said to this guy, I said, now, he wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And he wouldn't be thinking what they're thinking. And he wouldn't be planning what they're planning. But he'd be right in the middle of them. There's a difference between being a friend of sinners and allowing ourselves to be influenced by a culture, culture that is worldly. Mm. The provision of God. It's a difficult verse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. He says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Some people try to translate that, that, uh, that we are jealous, that we are envious. And there's several ways they try to translate it. I think the bottom line is that the spirit that God put in you, he's jealous over that spirit. And God's jealousy is not evil, by the way. He, in other words, he wants you to flourish the way he made you to flourish. And he talks about how that we could give ourselves to going another way. But once again, God butts in. I love it when God interrupts. Because he says in verse 6, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Isaiah wrote uh, for a brief, God is saying this to Israel. Listen, this is great. These are great verses. Write them down. For a brief moment, they're all good, by the way. These are great verses for today. I deserted you. This is God speaking to the nation. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. I get tired of hearing people say the God of the Old Testament's mean. He's judgmental. He's harsh. He's crushing people. Here's a God of the Old Testament in the Old Testament using the word compassion. Verse 8 says, In overflowing anger for a moment... I hid my face from you. Now, in overflowing anger, he did not annihilate them. In overflowing anger, he did not cause a storm to come and and take them off of the face of the earth. And you get my point. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion 
on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Compassion again. No matter what kind of shape you're in, no matter what you've given yourself to, God's, it says, but God gives grace. But God gives more grace. Why does God give more grace? Because we are always needing more. Why do we need more? We leak. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's quoting there Proverbs 3.34. Also, Peter quotes the exact same verse in 5.5. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. No one away empty except those who are full of themselves. To the church of Laodicea, Jesus had John the Revelator write. He said, I know what you, who you are, and I know you say this, I am rich, I need nothing. How many of you know there are people in the church and not in the church that are saying, I got everything I need. I don't need God. I don't need anything else. I can get, I can do it on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can, I can make this thing happen. Jesus said, you may say that, but here's what I say about you. You are wretched. You are pitiable. You are blind and you are naked. This is how I see you. I know we understand this, but let's just make the point. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. It's how Jesus sees you that matters. You may think you're rich, and I don't mean that with money. I don't think they meant it with money or possessions. But they thought they had everything they needed. And yet Jesus said, you don't have everything you you need because you are wretched. You're pitiable. And people who give themselves to to, uh, self-satisfaction and pleasurable satisfaction, to worldly desires are pitiable. So he says, submit, therefore. Submit, therefore. Since all of this is going on and God gives grace, because you need God, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Now, you've heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again. It is inaccurate, and I've heard it done a thousand times. It is inaccurate for us to quote the verse, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is not true. Unless you preface it with what James wrote. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then and only then do you have the wherewithal to resist the devil and him flee from you. I pointed out to our small group on Wednesday night, the word James uses there for resist is antihistamine. Okay? Yeah, that's where we get our word, antihistamine. Antihistamine resists the allergens that cause us problems. And when we submit to God, submit ourselves to God, He gives us the antihistamine we need to resist the devil. Again, I'm reading Jim Newsom's book, and he points out something in that book that I really, I might have mentioned this Wednesday night too. Remember this. 
The devil is God's devil. The devil is not free to reign and to roam and do what he wants. Oh, he's roaming around. He's looking for people to devour. But he can't touch you without God's permission. And even then, he can't really touch you. You see, that thing thinks I'm done. And maybe I should be. You're going to have to just hush. There we go. Let me get it, Job. I can't touch Job until you let me. Who's talking? Satan. Peter. Satan has asked for permission. Everybody say permission. <laughs> I'm keeping you awake. Peter. Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. And you've heard me say it. Many times that Peter thought the next thing he would hear was Jesus say, but I told him no. (laughs) That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said, I have prayed for you. In other words, the sifting is coming. Lord, help me. I'm going to be here till 2 o'clock if I keep doing this, but you won't, but I will. Don't think because bad things come your way that God has abandoned you. Life does happen. We do live in a fallen world. We live around fallen people who are doing fallen things. And too many times we're a part of that. But just because things happen to you that you think are negative or not good, don't you think God's abandoned you or you think, what have I done? What sin did I commit? Why is God mad at me? He's not mad at you. Count it all joy. We started this book off when you encounter various trials. Now, a a trial's not just feeling bad. A trial's stuff happening to you, getting in your way. Okay, Lord, help me. He said, draw close to God. If you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. That's not a God making a deal with you. If you don't draw close to God, there's nowhere for God to move because you're blocking him. You're blocking him because you have free will. But when you draw close to God, you know, when I, we went out to Louisiana before we ever were married, well, she was already there. And we had a coffee house that we were ministering in. Back then we did coffee houses. I was a hippie. And I've seen this many times before, but this is the first time I saw a car sitting out in the parking lot. And the sticker on it said, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Oh, Lord, help me. Cleanse and purify. He said, cleanse your hands. Isaiah said, God said through Isaiah, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes cease to do evil. I'm going to skip verse 17, William. I'm going to go to verse 18. Come now, very popular verse. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, They shall be as white as snow. 
though they are like red like crimson. God would have had to put crimson in the Bible. At least it didn't say tied right after it. They shall become like wool. Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white. Again, this mean, harsh, judgmental, want to kill you every moment God says, I'm going to forgive your sins and make them white as snow. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. What's your hands? What's your touching? Your activity. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jeremiah asked the question, how long will your wicked, God asked through Jeremiah, how long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? It's about what we think. Humble yourselves. I heard Derek Prince say more than once, God, God will not humble you. It's possible that God cannot humble you because he won't violate your will. But God will humiliate you. God will create enough circumstances to make you humble yourself. Peter repeats that phrase, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble, everybody say yourselves. Yourselves. See, God's not going to humble you because he tells you to humble yourself because that's an act of laying down our will at God's feet and saying to him, here I am, use me. I humble myself. And then he finishes up briefly, do not speak evil. He returns to the same topic that we dealt with a few weeks ago, and that is the tongue. Evidently was an issue. Do not speak evil. This is a result of arrogance, of jealousy, selfish desires, and pride when we speak evil of others. Because what we're trying to do when we speak evil of others is to level the ground. We're trying to pull them down so that we walk on level ground. And he finishes up with what I'm going to finish up with today. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? I shared recently with someone that 1 Corinthians 5 is very explicit in teaching us that we are to judge one another in the church. Let me finish before you start running out of here. We're almost commanded in that passage to judge one another within the church. And he's very clear in that passage. We do not have any authority to judge anybody outside the church. And I don't mean the institution. I mean the organic body of Christ. But even then, you can't judge someone's heart. If you, if you walk in the room with a red shirt on, I'm going to make a judgment that you're wearing a red shirt. And you're going to say, don't you judge me. It's just a matter of making a determination. I just can't go there. Your chicken's going to burn. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. 
He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary, known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. We have God's provision and God's grace. And I think this is the message that James intended when he wrote this letter. Stand with me.